Welcome to another episode of School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined as always by Chris and Adam. Guys, how you doing today? Well, uh, it's it's another Everton victory, which it feels weird to say another, like it's something that we've become accustomed to. But yet, much, here we are, so I guess we can't complain too much. Much like Richarlison, I've spent these last few days pretending I'm more successful than I am. <laughs> that's for Charleston's whole brand, isn't it? Uh, yeah. That's really the that's really the like Everton 2010 to 2019 brand. But mm, I maybe shouldn't have said that. People are probably going to get angry about that on Twitter. I'm a big club. I promise. <laughs> well, guys, you know we got a we got a great show ahead here. Uh, you know we got later on Sean Cahill of Tottenham site. Uh, cartilage free captain will come on to talk a little bit about the Spurs match, uh, coming up on the weekend. But first we'll get to Burnley and, uh, let's start off with how Everton performed against the, uh, lower level teams, the bottom half clubs. They finished the year at 11, five and six with 37 goals for 23 goals against. And, you know, given our regular frustrations with Everton's performances against bad teams, which, you know, that's a whole, a whole big thing. Is this acceptable for us, or, or should we be doing better? Well, you know, when, when you look at the the record over the season up until, you know, two months ago, you know, I, I think you would have had to have said that that is, is about who this team is at, at this point. Uh, but then you look at, at what's gone on in the last two months, and you look at the wins over – over Chelsea, over Arsenal, over West Ham, a draw against Cardiff, uh, the win against Manchester United. Uh, and, and you feel like now we've kind of got this revisionist history mindset where we look back at what we've seen over that time. And, well, the team that we've seen in the last two months, yeah, should be better than, than what that record against those bottom half teams is. Uh, you know, can, is it, is it fair to say that what this team is now should have been better then? Uh, I don't know. We'll let the philosophers d- debate that one, but it's definitely something to think about. Yeah, I. It's tough because you know you look at the overall record and it's against those uh, bottom ten teams or so, and it's on its face it's pretty good. The on a more philosophical level, the inability for long parts of the season to break down teams that were bunkering against us, especially was pretty frustrating and kind of the one big chink in Marco Silva's armor outside of the set piece defense, which he seems to have cleaned up. Um, the real problem for me is Everton's record against teams right around them in the table. So you look at Leicester city, Watford wolves, and we'll even throw West Ham in there. Um, wolves significantly outperformed Everton in, on that front. And that's pretty much the difference between European play and not. And I think going forward to next season, if you can, if you want to allow that Marco Silva has figured out how he can take the game to the the sky six, and he's figured out how to beat the Huddersfields and the Burnleys of the world, beating our direct competition is is kind of the the next white whale. Yeah, and you know when you think about the kind of the the last match before this this run of form that I think we've, we've thought of as kind of the turnaround. The reason that we, we feel good about where we're going next season uh, was that, that one nil loss to, to Watford where, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've come out of a match this season more frustrated uh, than I did 
out of that one uh, because they they generated so little. They were so devoid of of ideas, and they were sloppy in set piece defense. And you know that's that's how they conceded. And and you look, you know, any one of those matches of of that variety, if if it's something where Everton can turn it around, especially when you look at the Wolves match at at the start of the season, you know, there's a reasonable chance that we're looking at Europa League play next year. So it it it's tough. It, you, you could even uh, boil it down to more basics than that. And you know, if you if you don't blow the lead against Newcastle, and if you beat Fulham, which Obviously, there's no excuse for not beating Fulham. Everton are probably going to Europe. Even and even just just one of those gives them a a pretty good chance, you know, going into the into the weekend. That if if they beat uh, Spurs this weekend, who are, you know, going to be uh, short on things to play for more more than likely, and and Wolves takes on Liverpool, who obviously has everything to play for, even even just one more win against one of those mid-table or lower teams, and and there's a, a decent chance, there's a fighting chance at least going into the last week of the season, and instead of kind of shrugging our shoulders going into that that match, we're sitting here talking about, you know, hey, if, if they can get it right one more time, we're a reasonable chance they're, they're playing in Europe next season. So it is something that has to be improved at least to some extent if this is a team that wants to ever really break into the top six. Yeah, definitely something to look at there. You know, uh, you know, the, the, the key to good teams is beating those, those teams that are worse. And, you know, I, I think 11, 5, and 6 for, as we said, for, for what we've seen of this team over the course of the year and the ups and downs it's had, it's acceptable. Uh, but to take that next step and to, you know, get into that sky six, you need to beat the teams below you and you need to beat the teams around you. Um, especially if you're not able to beat the teams above you on the road like Everton have not been able to. So, um, you know, for now it's acceptable, but we hope to see a, a you know, improvement now from this uh, as, as we move forward. And we talked a little bit about frustration there and Everton have had over or had over 20 shots and more than 60% of possession against both Palace and Burnley. Uh, they also dominated the XG battle as well. Uh, one of those results, Burnley was a win. The other, Palace, was a 0-0 draw. What was the difference between these two games, despite the similarities and shots and attack and really controlling much of the game? I, I, I hate to to sit oversimplify things, but I, I think it's, it's really two main factors. Um, one is that Crystal Palace is better at defending than Burnley. Uh, and I know that's really, really oversimplifying it, but you know, the, the, the reality is that after kind of, uh, somehow uh, utilizing the XG fairies, uh, to their benefit last year, Burnley have kind of regressed to the team defensively that you'd expect them to be, which is one that, that concedes a lot of goals because they're, they're not in possession much. And you look at the personnel and it's, you know, it doesn't jump off the, the, the paper at you whereas palace you know for all of their at times inability to score goals has been pretty much a solidly mid-table defense uh and the the other factor is that again i hate to to oversimplify and and use the cliche here but goals change games you know richarlison gets gets a little lucky early in the match gets a 
a deflected goal that goes in. And now instead of Burnley being able to frustrate and frustrate and frustrate uh, an Everton team that's often failed to break down opponents, now they've got to open up a little bit because they're behind. Uh, and no disrespect to Richarlison, no disrespect to the rest of the attack, but if you don't get that goal and even you're talking 30 and 40 minutes or getting to the end of the first half at nil-nil, it's a completely different scenario than what we wound up with after that goal went in. It is, and the other thing that I would add to that, which I completely agree with both of your points, is just that Crystal Palace's attacking players are individuals who I, at least on a personal level, respect more than Burnley's, and I do think that when you're you're kind of bombing forward, that's something that you have to consider. You know, there's a big difference between Chris Wood running at Michael Keane and Kurt Zuma and it being Wolf Saha. And I think that can kind of handcuff you at least a little bit when you're considering how much to kind of throw at the opposition net. And overall, I think you're right that it is fairly simple, um, especially since the shots that Everton had go in against Burnley weren't really that good. Uh, Richarlison's goal deflected off of Bidney's knee. And Seamus Coleman's goal came out of, came from, uh, Tom Heaton spilling Luca Dean's extremely long distance prayer right into, onto his head. So it wasn't like the goals that they did score were these flowing team moves a la Barcelona. Yeah. And this is, this is the, uh, type of high level analysis that I'm sure everyone tunes in week out, week in, week out for. The reason that Everton beat Burnley and couldn't beat Crystal Palace is that Crystal Palace is better than Burnley. Sometimes it really is just that simple. <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, you know, Crystal Palace, I believe, was on the road. Am I wrong? As opposed, yeah, to... and that that is definitely in in the last month or so been uh, a factor as well. Yeah, the one of the, one of the premier factors is we've been tremendously better, or uh, at least at putting balls in the back of the net. Uh, at home than we have been on the road. But moving on now to one of the goals that was scored in, in this match, and we'll just touch on this briefly. You know, Richarlison, he ha- originally was ruled a goal uh, against Burnley, the first goal, then changed to an own goal on Ben Mee of Burnley. Uh, Richarlison was on social media this entire weekend pre- uh, pretending like Ben Mee's own goal was not an own goal. Um, guys, it... it is there something, some contractual bonus for 14 goals that we have no idea about? Is he right to be upset about this? You know, what's what's the deal with all this? It, it's just, it's it's kind of funny just because it's like the most for Charleston thing possible. I don't get the sense at all that he's like a bad teammate or anything like that. I don't want to go there. I think he's he's been he's been good this year outside of his kind of Neymar-esque attitude problems on the field. But like, dude, just chill out. It went in the net. That's that's all we're asking for. Yeah, and it was it wasn't. I understand that it wasn't like this blatant own goal where it was go, clearly going into the next zip code, all out Russ Barkley. But <laughs> it, it's just not that big of a deal, and it cracked me up. Like Richarlison had five or six different Instagram story posts that were that were like highlights of the goal and him running off and celebrating and kissing the badge or whatever. Dude, you kicked it off a dude's leg. Yeah, uh, it's pretty straightforward uh, for me. Uh, Yeah, it it took a pretty significant deflection, and it it probably wasn't going on goal, and and then it definitely went on goal. And the funny thing about that is that when that happens, it's an own goal. 
Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it, it's the, the kind of typical silliness that we've, uh, we've come to expect from him. And, and I think just to kind of build off what Chris has said and to, to add a little bit of seriousness to this, you know, I, I think in the last two months, we have seen for the most part, on the field, a more mature Richarlison. We've seen a Richarlison who's willing to get back in and help defensively. Uh, we've seen a Richarlison who is occasionally more willing to pass the ball. God love him. He still can't pass the ball worth shit, but he's at least willing to try a little bit more. Um, and so, frankly, if he needs to vent out his evidently uh, inlaid immaturity by posting stupid stuff on social media about how uh, – a goal that he didn't really score should have been his. Uh, yeah, go ahead and, and do that. And when you get it on the field, uh, be an adult works for me. Great. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's just, it, it seems a little just over the top, you know, the season, uh, it, it, it's not like the 14 goals was going to get him the scoring title. It, you know, it just, but it, it could point. make him the team's leading goal scorer in the Premier League. He's still tied, or uh, yeah, he's still tied with Sigurdsson on 13 for the season. So that, maybe that, that's his angle. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But I mean, still a little bit much. And you know what? You know what I say to that? I say, how about this? Go out and score two on Sunday against Spurs, and then you don't have to worry about whether it was an own goal or not. Um, I think all of us would appreciate that very, very much. Um, but moving on, finally, uh, we'll talk about this real quick before we head on to just a few topics we want to wrap up before we head into our Spurs preview. Uh, let's talk about the Ashley West, Westwood, uh, tackle on Morgan Schneiderlin. What do you guys think? Should this have been a red card or, uh, with yellow, uh, enough? Well, it wasn't so much of a tackle as it was uh, an all-out assault on Morgan Schneiderlin's yet leg. There. I, I think that, you know, for a few moments there, after I saw the replays, amputation was a consideration. I don't know what the referee was thinking. You know, I, I posted some, some screen caps during the game on our Twitter account that Westwood comes in, the ball's, you know, two to three feet away from the play. His studs are up and directly into Schneiderlin's upper thigh. There's welts that are left there. You know, both the result and the foul in the moment was like, what is going on? Did I did I just see that? It was just needless violence and kind of a a microcosm of the fact that really the Premier League has like one and a half good referees. Yeah, and and you know, and I think that the the knee-jerk reaction, I think, a lot of times when you see replays of a foul or selected snippets of a foul, and you know, and the re- or the replay is shown in in super slow motion, where we have this tendency to go, oh well, you know, it, it, any tackle is going to look bad if you slow it down enough or you take it from this angle or whatever, uh, and that's true. But the funny thing about this tackle is that uh, in real time, it looked like a red card too. Uh, and that's usually the criteria upon which we judge red cards. So, yeah, for me, I, I mean, I think this one's pretty open and shut. Didn't matter in the end. Schneiderlin didn't look to come off any uh, any worse for wear outside of, you know, the gaping holes in his skin. Um, thankfully, he, he came off pretty unscathed. So it, it's it's a side note for me in the, the whole story. But, yeah, I, I think had, had to be red, uh, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, 
we we saw you know maybe a little bit worse of a tackle, but a, a similar tackle in, in ironically Spurs game on uh, uh, I think it was Saturday, right? Uh, where Spurs took on yeah one one fourth had a similar tackle uh, on the Bournemouth player, uh, and he did see red for that. So you know uh, it, it was I think it was similar enough to agree that both the fouls were deserving of red, and, and Everton probably uh, you know got the short end of the stick on this one. Um, but moving on now to, uh, you know, just wrapping up a couple topics here before we head into our Spurs preview. Uh, you know, it was a bit emotional after the whistle at Goodison. Uh, we had some, you know, big moments, specifically Jaggy Elka made what may have been his final uh, Everton appearance. Uh, Silva's made it clear that he, uh, the club would like to bring back Leighton Baines for another year, um, but not as committal in regards to um, or not as committed in regards to Jagielka. Let me ask you guys this. What would you guys, and Chris, we'll go to you first, what would you guys do with these pair of legends moving forward? So it's tough, right, because I think we all love both of them dearly, and they've provided a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, they provided a lot of our formative Everton memories insofar as we started watching the club six, seven, eight, nine years ago, or whatever the case may be. Um, that being said, I do tend to side with Marco a little bit in that I think, A, in Baines's position, we have someone who's going to play probably between the league and the cup as long as he's healthy. He's probably going to play 41, 42 times a, a season. Um, and in Jackie Elka's position, and Baines, you know, when he did play this season, I thought still had something to offer, especially going forward. He did have that injury problem and, conceded a penalty at one point, but you know, he, he largely looks, looks like the mostly the same guy and he's still got the tech, <clears throat> excuse me, that technical ability and, and these kinds of things. When it comes to Jackie Elka, the center back position is a lot more up in the air with Yuri Mina being hurt and nobody knows what's going to happen with Mason Holgate and Kurt Zuma only being on loan. I think you kind of want to clear the space to where you can bring in another center back or two even and and Phil has displayed a little bit more signs of aging to where I, I would hate to see Jags suit up for another team. I also don't know that in this new progressive Everton, if he's going to, he's going to have anything left to offer. Uh, yeah. I think with, with Baines, um, if he is, happy with uh with the role that he would presumably take behind uh Dinia. I, I think he's a no-brainer I don't think you're gonna find anybody better as a backup left back who knows he's probably only gonna play five to ten times in a year again if if he's happy to to come back with that role um so that that to me is an easy one bring him back one more year shuffle him in have him around as a veteran leader and and be done with it uh, Jags is, you know, I, I definitely think that we've seen Jags take a bigger step back than we saw from Bainesy this year. Um, as, as Chris has, has rightly noted, this kind of more, uh, pressing oriented Everton that we've seen, uh, it, it requires fullbacks or excuse me, center backs who are comfortable chasing down long balls over the top. Uh, a lot of times as teams will look to use that more direct route to, to get out in the face of pressure. Um, and it's, it's why we've seen Kurt Zuma do well. It's, it's why we've seen 
Yerimina um, in his limited appearances look okay too because they've, they've got guys with that athleticism. Uh, certainly Michael Keane is uh, not as much in that, in that vein. I would be very scared to see a, a team with a little bit of pace go up against the center back duo of uh, Michael Keane and Phil Jagielka. Um, but it is, again, as Chris has pointed out, I have no idea who the center backs on this team are going to, going to be next year you know Mino will be around because he's under contract for a while uh obviously Keen is the guy but is is Holgate back uh is Zuma back is, is there room for a guy like Morgan Feeney uh I would not be surprised I think to see Everton maybe wait it out with Jagielka and basically say to him hey we don't know if we've got room for you Right now, if we get into, you know, July or, or early August and, and we're still not, you know, not, not at full numbers, then we'd be happy to bring you back in a similar role to, to what you were this year. Uh, but I, I don't think that the club can realistically expect anything more from him than that going forward. And, and to do so would be, uh, to, to base decision on emotion rather than reason. Yeah, I, I could definitely agree with both you guys on that. You know, it's, you know, I think it's coming to the end of the time here for both Baines and Jagielka. Obviously, we've seen the movement of, you know, the wanting to bring in players that are 25 and younger, uh, starting this movement, starting to build a culture here. And it's good to have these veterans around, but I'm not sure how much longer they will be sticking around with, you know, players that will be brought in and just, you know, the, uh, just, just how the manager and, and, uh, the board view them, uh, on the field. Uh, recently, I think that, you know, the players in their positions are pretty much cemented their positions there. And, uh, at best, they'll be, uh, backups, uh, there next season. But moving forward here, uh, as we finish up, uh, you know, looking at Everton and, and again, start to look towards next weekend, the final game of the season. Bernard's production doesn't match his popularity among the supporters. That's for sure. You know, he's, he's, been a useful player for us. He's been very good for us, but he's got the same amount of assists as Chank Tosun, which is uh, three each. Chank has 900 or so minutes. Bernard has about 2,100. Adam, is the Brazilian the answer at left wing for next season? Well, this is kind of a classic case of uh, what the eye test tells you versus what the numbers tell you. Um, you know, the eye test says he, he looks good. It, it says that he's developed a good relationship with the left back. Uh, and he, he clearly has talent. Um, he's capable of doing a lot of things that are pleasing to the eye that may or may not actually result, um, in a whole lot creatively at the end of the day. Uh, and I think that he is a useful Premier League player who could feasibly, you know, be a reasonable starter on, on a team with, with Everton's, uh, you know, approximate, uh, pedigree and, and goals. And I, I think that for me, the, the biggest thing is that they have Adamola Lookman. Um, and Lookman's numbers and in, in terms of his creativity, um, are a little bit better uh Lookman's at 0.26 uh expected assists per 90 Bernard is at half that at at 0.13 it, so it's it's tough because i i think that 
Bernard is definitely a guy that this team wants to continue using going forward. But at a certain point, I, I think that we have to kind of double back to a place that we've been a lot this season, which is that we don't fully know what Adam Ola Lookman can be for this team in more of a full-time role. And I think that that ceiling for him is so much higher than what Bernard's ceiling is. And for me to say yes or no to whether or not Bernard should be the regular starter at that position is is difficult until we've seen Adam Ola Lookman get a serious chance at it as well so that we can have a real point of comparison between the two. Yeah, and and the, the other thing is not only do we not know what Adam Lookman can do in a in a full-time role, uh, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes with his relationship with Marco Silva and his teammates. Um you know, I'm inclined to say that everything's good. I know Adam Ola would like to play more. I'd like to I definitely like to see him play more. But there's all sorts of mitigating circumstances that I'm willing to allow for. That being said, you know, I know striker is a really popular area to to point to when you say, hey, let's fix part of Everton's attack or let's improve upon it. I think that finding an alternative to Bernard, if you're not willing to trust Adam Ola-Lookman, would be an interesting angle to take. I'm happy to keep Bernard around for a year, for the an indeterminate amount of time. I don't think that he's done anything wrong. I just don't think that he's quite as good as people think he is. And I would be fascinated to see what kind of impact he could have in, in a lesser role. I know he's on really big wages, but his kind of his play style and his stamina levels, if you will, kind of point to somebody who would be really amazing off the bench in 20, 30 minute stretches. And right now, Marco Silva hasn't, gone to that and I, I don't really blame him because Everton have been really good with kind of this set starting 11 over the last two months or so. Yeah, yeah. and I think that the, the one other thing that goes along with that um, is that Adam Lookman has shown, at, at least in, in his time uh, in Germany last year, um, a, a little bit of a better nose for goal and I think that you've you've rightly pointed out that one of the, the areas that you want to probably look at in terms of investment over the offseason is, is probably at at striker. But I mean we're we're talking about in Bernard, you know, a, a guy who has forty six goals in two hundred and sixty five uh professional appearances. And you know, a lot of that is coming in the first division in the Ukraine or where have you, uh in Brazil, where it's obviously not uh a to the levels that Adai was playing in, in in Germany last year. And if we're acknowledging that, that striker is a position that we're still a little up in the air about, and, you know, we talked uh, last episode about the things that Dominic Calvert-Lewin does bring, which is the, the work rate, the ability to really lead that press, um, but but less so in, in terms of his raw numbers contribution. If, if you see somebody like Calvert-Lewin or a similar player, leading the line for this team going forward, then you're really going to want to look for goal production across all three of those uh, attacking players that are behind him in, in the right mid, which is are pretty uh, solidly Richarlison right now in the number 10, which is pretty solidly Sigurdsson. And, and both of those guys have contributed the goals this season. And you'd want to see that from the left wing as well. And that's just not something that's really in Bernard's game at this level. 
that there is reason to think could be in, in Adam Ola Lookman's when you realize that, you know, again, at, at uh, RB Leipzig last year, he had five goals in 579 minutes, which uh, my math isn't great, but that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree with both the guys on that. Chris, I, I, my, my view on this also is that, uh, you know, Bernard would be a very, very good player off the bench. How you approach it from there obviously depends, as we've been talking about uh, on a demo lookman. Uh, do they go for a, a left winger in the market uh, over the offseason? My guess would be no, but, you know, who, who knows? I we, we, I guess we've seen crazier things happen. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree that he can be more of a, uh, a substitute and, and just be uh, terrific off the bench uh, on a week-to-week basis as well. But that's all we have for Everton pass let's look towards the future now and for that i say we get to uh you know our 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 spurs preview and bring on our our special guest that we have so let's get right to it now we're going to bring on sean cahill deputy manager of sb nation's tottenham site cartilage free captain to talk about our match uh this coming weekend with uh spurs uh first off sean how you doing i'm doing well how about you guys doing pretty well doing pretty well um, let's start with the basics here. Uh, so, you, so Spurs have lost four of five right when they could have put one foot in the Champions League final, wrapped up top four much sooner. Give us a little breakdown. What's going on with Spurs right now? Well, the short answer is everybody's uh, dead. Uh, that's probably the quickest way to answer this. If you look at the injury history that Spurs have had, I've I've got some pretty ridiculous numbers here. So this is just EPL play alone. Uh, Victor Wanyama's missed 25 matches. Jan Vertonghen, 14. Deli's missed 13. Winks has missed 12. Kane's missed 10 or 11. I, I think this number was before last week's game. Uh, Sissoko, 9. Sun, 6. Lucas, 6. I mean, the, no, the list goes on and on, just how many injuries this team has had. And yet, they're more than likely still going to be in the Champions League because the pillow fight between places 3 through 6 has been just that and then some. It's been absolutely ridiculous how terrible it is. And are, are you suggesting that going an entire summer buying no players doesn't help your depth or help you handle uh, injuries? Are hey, you not, sure? Not just the summer, but the winter too. Two windows. <laughs> yes, Two windows really that are quite around. a few. Yeah. Um, yeah. So much. So much has been made about um, those windows and the fact that Mauricio Pochettino has still somehow managed to get this team ready week in and week out and somehow still be in the top four. I, I, I don't know how it, it baffles me to this day. I mean, yeah, if at the start of the season, somebody had told you you're going to have all those guys miss that number of games, you're still going to finish top four, you know, more than likely. And you're going to make the champions league semifinal. Like how, how drunk would that, would you have thought that person to be at the time? <laughs> I probably would have laughed at him. Uh, it's, I mean, I mean, drunk, stoned, you know, insert, um, insert, uh, inebriation here. Yeah. It's just, who, who knows? Uh, I, I've, I've run out of ways to explain just how Spurs are still in this, in this, uh, top four race and barring a wild, uh, set of results on Sunday. Uh, are going to be in the Champions League next season. I, I I can't explain it. I really can't. 
Well, I know you guys always enjoy an extra opportunity to laugh at Arsenal, and I think that that's played a big part. Um, who do you think – whose absence has impacted you guys the most, do you think? I mean, it's easy to say Kane, uh, but the thing is is that when he when he had his first spell, Spurs played well. Sonny ended up going up top. Uh, Deli, Erickson, Lamella, Lucas all picked up the slack. Uh, truth be told, I would say that when we were without Deli, I mean, like say he's missed 13 matches. There's always something missing in midfield without Deli Ali there. Uh, Sissoko's missed nine and I, I still can't believe I'm, I'm saying this, but, uh, he is one of the, one of the most important pieces this year. Like without Musa Sissoko, I have no idea where this team is. Well, it's gotten, it's gotten so bad that at various points, us Everton fans have been like, well, damn, maybe we should have signed him on that <laughs> fateful deadline day two years ago. <laughs> well, depending on who you believe, he, he muted Ronald Coleman and, and ignored a, a flight. So, uh, <laughs> it depends, well, you know, new, new phone, who dis? <laughs> I mean, we all would have liked to yeah, muted Ronald Koeman at one point or another before the end. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I, I mean, he, I've never seen a career turnaround like this where Mrs. Sissoko went from one of the most disappointing signings and arguably most hated because anytime he stepped onto the pitch, he, he screwed up and he has gone from that to he might end up being the player of the season for Spurs. Like I'm, I'm a member of a supporters club and you know, I get the emails that say, Hey, the, the supporters club player of the season votes out and it's probably going to be him. Uh, it might be son. It might be Vertonghen, but there's no denying his importance. He has been vital for this campaign. And full credit to him for that, because it's obviously it's, he's made major progress, but as an outsider to me watching that, it speaks also a lot to Pochettino's genius in Mm -hmm. player development and man management, especially. I can't, I can't sing Pochettino's praises enough. Uh, just the other day I was, I was having a conversation with, um, uh, one of our other writers and talking about how back in, back when we hired Pochettino, he was technically third choice because all the rumors were Louis Van Gaal. And of course he ended up going to United. And then there was Frank DeBoer. Holy crap. Was that a bullet dodged? Uh, and we ended up with Mauricio Pochettino. So, so, so wait, wait. Uh, United have saved you twice now. They, they yes. hired, um, Van Gaal instead, and then they decided to, to keep, uh, OGS instead of, um, chasing after Poch more. Wow. Can, can we talk about that for a second? Because yeah, yeah, man, man United, they should have learned, shouldn't they? Like they should have learned from Moyes. They should have learned from Mourinho that you, you gotta get through any kind of a honeymoon phase. But I guess that the victory of PSG, I mean, fair play to them. The victory of PSG was, was a, a hell of a win. And as soon as we saw the rumor come out that they were offering him a contract, so they're going, well, there's nowhere else for him to go. Real had already hired Zidane. Uh, PSG, I mean, there was rumors a couple weeks ago that the Qataris are pulling out of the Paris Saint-Germain pro- project. And PSG was a club that I was always You're terrified that he would come to. I know, right? I mean, all the money that they've invested into that club, and now they might just say, eh, you know what, we're done. Uh, it's no longer a plaything. Um, but PSG was always a club that terrified me that was going to steal Pochettino because if, if you haven't, if you haven't read his book, his, his biography, uh, he talks about how much him and his wife 
love Paris. They go there every single year. They love it. And I'm sitting there going, holy shit, if PSG ever come calling, he's gone. And the United Links were definitely there, and we were obviously very worried. And all of a sudden, oh, hey, OGS comes along and does well, signs that contract, and then down to the dumps. Just amazing. United consistently cannot help themselves when it comes to the hot girl at the bar. It's absolutely (laughs) every single time. It's amazing. That's um, a really good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, not not a not a long term thing. Definitely not. It can't marry her. But damn, if they if they don't fall for the same trick. Um, back to the injuries, real quick. I'm gonna move one of the other topics that I wanted to talk about up because mm-hmm. uh, it's related. Uh, Spurs injuries ha- have, as we just discussed, been a pretty big subplot to the season. And there have been a couple of things that have at least made me kind of turn my head and think, hmm, mm-hmm. that's a little weird. Um, including, you know, Harry Kane coming back from what I feel safe terming chronic ankle injuries mm-hmm. too soon, we'll say, um, a couple of, a couple of different times. I'm remembering one at least. And then, you know, the whole issue with, uh, Jan Vertonghen in the semifinal against Ajax a couple of days ago. Do you think there's anything up there, um, with the, with the medical staff and how Spurs handle their, their injuries considering those issues and just the sheer quantity of them? So I'll take this out of order. Uh, Jan Vertonghen, I, I know everybody thought that he was concussed. I mean, I, all of us on, on Cardi Free, we thought he was concussed. I uh, also thought that. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure everybody did. Yeah. Um, but Christoph Terrier, who, um, who writes for HLN, uh, and if there's ever anybody that knows Belgian football, uh, in the sports journalism, uh, uh, industry, Christoph's the man. He is the guy to go to. And every single thing that he wrote about post that match was Vertonghen passed concussion protocol. He just lost too much blood. <laughs> and I mean, we, we saw him laying there and blood just pouring out of his nose and, you know, covering his kit and all. Um, there has been concern though with, with the staff. I mean, um, I believe we were playing Everton a couple of years ago when, when Hugo got upended oh, yeah. and yeah, got con- and. Mm-hmm. Definitely was concussed. He was out cold and still ended up going back into the match. I, I don't know how. Um, but it, it goes to show you that concussion, there needs to be a universal concussion protocol. Uh, I don't know how that looks, but my thought is to have an independent, uh, medical staff there on the sidelines just for that very reason. But I don't know if UEFA will even consider it, let alone the domestic leagues. Yeah, uh, one of the things that I've seen tossed around that I that I liked was having a, a, a free sub, basically, in the event of a head injury. Mm-hmm. Where you're not penalizing the team for bringing on somebody to to kind of keep things safe, and that way right. they'll be much more inclined to to take off the injured player. But and, and normally I would I would say that that's not possible, but we've already seen rule changes where a fourth sub is now available. In extra time situations, uh, I think the FA Cup had that this year, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah so most, of the, most competitions have adopted it at this point. So we know that the associations are willing to make the change and you say, hey, you know, maybe we really should do this. Maybe we should allow a fourth sub uh, at some point. So I, I really like that idea. I think that's a good step in the right direction, but I don't know if it'll ever be implemented. Um, I think it was it Platini or... Uh, one of the, one of the big ways that UEFA coming out or FIFA saying that, no, nah, there's no, there's no link between CT and head injuries. Yeah, sure. <laughs> NFL uh, hasn't gotten in trouble for that 
ever. No, nope. yeah, that's been no their kidding. company line the whole way, and, and so far it's worked out great for them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> ask ask uh, Dave Dewars and the Junior Seau's families about that. That's yeah. that's 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 just pure ignorance by the NFL, but yeah. that's par for the course for them. Um, as for Harry Kane, this is now actually his third ankle injury. He had the one that he sustained against Sunderland a couple of years ago that kept him out, and um. Now this has been twice in the same season. I feel like I'm missing one too, but uh I'm gonna look here while you're while you're yeah. talking. So when he came back this year, it actually looked like he really hadn't lost a lot. Like the first time he did the injury, um he definitely came back too soon. Mm-hmm. And for like seven matches, he was only averaging like two or three shots per ninety minutes and Kane's usually right around six or seven. So there's obviously something bothering him. He wasn't getting into space. He wasn't, he wasn't quite as confident, but this year after that first injury, it didn't look like he missed much. He came back faster than expected. Uh, that was, that was when he went to uh, the Bahamas and lived on uncle Joe's yacht. It looked like uh, doing, doing his rehab there. And of course, making a little trip to the Super Bowl to go see his best buddy, Tom Brady. Oh, um, disgusting. Yeah. I know, I know. It's, it's, it's one of, it's one of Harry's faults. Uh, but I, I do, I do think that there is this push to get players out as fast as can be, especially strikers. Uh, because that's the, the less you have to play with Fernando Urente, the better, I take it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, the thing about Lorente is he's never, he's never a guy at this age that you want to start. But he's also scored some pretty big goals, and it's almost always been in sub situations. You know, save sure. for the uh, uh, goal that he scored against Manchester City, that ended up ultimately being the uh, uh, goal that advanced Spurs to uh, the semifinals. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, Kane, like Kane, needs to stay stay done for the season. Obviously, he's yeah. not going to be ready for Wednesday. I, I can't imagine he'll even be considered for Sunday. The only thing that he would be considered for would be a, a potential Champions League final. And this, it's not outlandish. I just, it, it's a tall order to go to Amsterdam right now with the way that Ajax has been playing. And I don't know. There, I, I felt that if he needed surgery, which we had heard some reports that he, he did, he should have just had it, had mm-hmm. it, be done with it. Come back next season. Yeah, and for what it's worth, uh, transfer market's injury hin- history shows uh, five separate ankle injuries Jesus. since 2016. Um, so he missed 11 games the first time, then three mm-hmm. games, then two, then eight, and now these last seven. So you know, okay. it, it it does that seem way. like there's an issue there. So that way, uh, England instead can rush him back for the completely meaningless, uh, oh. nation, uh, Nations League final over the summer, right? Yeah, that's gonna happen. I, I, I'm not even, I'm not even going to be surprised when, when he rushes back, cause it's gonna happen. He, he wants to play. I mean, I, I give him credit. He wants to play in every single match, every single minute. I, I absolutely get it. He needs to rest, but. The Nations League apparently is important, which for know, reasons. Yeah, this is this is how much I've been paying attention to international football. Is there was the Concacaf had their draw for the Nations League several weeks ago. I didn't find out about it until four days after it happened. I'm like, wait, Concacaf's doing a Nations League? Oh, 
okay. And then I looked at the draw and go, oh, okay, whatever. I don't you mean really you care. You want to see Martinique against Cuba? <laughs> what kind of soccer fan are you? you I know, right? Martinique I, Cuba. Come I, on, Sean. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm I'm a bad football fan sometimes, uh, which is just you know I, I can't I can't defend it on international football. It just bores me to shit, except for the World Cup. So, but. I don't know. We'll we'll see with Harry. Um, I'm I'm guessing that if if Spurs do make the the CL final, um, he'll he'll at least be in the 18. I have no doubt in my mind that that would absolutely happen. Well, let's move things to a little bit, may, maybe possibly a little brighter subject than Spurs <laughs> Stadium. Uh, and you know now it's open finally after uh, a very long wait for Spurs fans. And let's start with. How it's been received and how does this, how does their form compare to Wembley if it's even, if you're even able to tell yet or, or is it too, too soon to tell? I think it's too soon to tell. Uh, the first, the first two matches were incredible because the first, two, the first match was obviously Crystal Palace and then we had Manchester City in the Champions League and Christian Eriksen came out, uh, and said that it's something they have to adjust to because the crowd is so damn loud that they couldn't hear each other communicate on the pitch. Now, Whitehart Lane had a, had a pretty good, uh, pretty good, uh, acoustic when it came to generating crowd noise, but. And a terrible cam- camera angle, but go on. Oh, 100%. 100%. It's, it was the, it was the one thing that you, you never heard, uh, a Spurs supporter say, oh man, I missed that Whitehart Lane camera angle. <laughs> uh, but. The, the new stadium is nothing short of spectacular. Um, I'm, I'm planning on going there this fall. Oh, awesome. uh, hopefully we got a, some, some dominoes have to fall, but, um, every, every account that I have heard from supporters say that it is truly world class. It's the best stadium they've ever stepped foot in. And we're also seeing it from opposing, opposing fans as well. Uh, when Arsenal fans are even saying it. I'm sorry. Uh, nothing. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. There was feedback. Uh, so, but when like Arsenal fans are saying and Chelsea fans are saying and City fans are saying, just going, holy shit, that's a really good stadium. You know, they did something right. Now, we could we could talk about the delays until we're blue in the face and how the the um, aura of Wembley wore off, uh, which it absolutely did. Uh, last year was kind of cool. It's like, hey, cool, we're playing in Wembley. You're gonna be a lot of fans in there. You could have eighty thousand. And then this season it was just, oh my God, can we get out of this place? I mean, especially with the location of it in London. Uh, and you know, people traveling to the game, they just got tired of it. You know, you saw in midweek matches were, were barely pulling 30,000 and it's just like, we want our home back and I don't blame anybody, you know. Um, you get used to going to the same place year in, year out and all of a sudden you got to go, you got to go across the city and we, you know, every mm-hmm. everything I've read about driving in in London sounds like it's a certifiable nightmare. So, uh, the stadium yeah, it did, itself just—it did start to feel like uh, you know you're moving from a, a real atmosphere at Wembley to more of a library as time went on, where the, yeah. the crowds kind of slowly dissipated. And like you said, if you had a midweek game, be it in Europe or whatever, it was just mm-hmm. kind of like eh. the Champions League matches still 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 pulled in well, but the league matches, especially midweek, were bad. But the, the stadium is incredible. Um, if you, if you ever want to see just a full collage of it, there's a, a account on Twitter. Uh, I believe it's just Spurs new stadium or, or new Spurs stadium. And all, all it is is just a guy 
re reposting pictures, just showing every single angle, every single thing uh, with the stadium. And it's, it, it just makes you want to go and check it out for yourself. But um, as for form, I think probably about midway through next season, we'll really see the difference in it. Um, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll go from there. I, I did enjoy, um, this was a couple, couple weeks, couple months ago, whenever, Whenever, excuse me, whenever Palace came in, it really got open. The, the British fans on Twitter freaking out about the feature where, um, your beer got filled up from the bottom with a little magnetized, <laughs> uh, device. And I was like, we've, I've, we've had that here at least in Nashville for like six years now. So I, I'm from Columbus, Ohio, and we had, that technology at the Schottenstein Center, which is the arena that's um, on Ohio State's campus, we've had that since the mid aughts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's it's nothing new. Like, but to see the reactions was great. You're just like, oh my god, what is this source? It's, like, it's like electricity, right? It's like we've had this for 15 years. Where the hell have you guys been? Uh, then you remember that almost every English stadium is old as fuck. So it's just, it is what it is. And I, you know. It's cool that they have that they they thought about every single um, perk, so to speak, uh, to throw into that stadium. I mean, having the NFL alongside and uh, saying, "Hey, um, you know, we'll give you some money and we'll, we'll give you some ideas, and we'll see how that really plays out as uh, the NFL plays some games there too." Well, the good news is that you won't have to play any more uh, football ma- um, football matches on you know NFL striped uh, fields. I remember. I don't know if Jesus it was last Christ. year or the year before. There was a, sp- a pretty significant Spurs match. I think it came out. And there's just like the 50 yard line is just right there, and I, it, it made me giggle. Yeah, um, and the biggest thing, of course, was after those matches that 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 pitch was torn to hell. There's there's no other way to put it. It just uh, NFL games are going to take way more of a toll just because of the 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 cleats are different, the style of plays obviously different, and you could see it. I mean, the Wembley grounds crew has to be good to make that pitch even playable after any any NFL match, um, no matter who it is. And just what everyone has always wanted, right? An experience to uh, equal early days of MLS. Just what oh, everyone wants, right? God, I mean, the, the crew here in Columbus played uh, three seasons in Ohio Stadium. That was when Ohio Stadium still had grass and it was terrible. Well, I mean, uh, I, I'm a Red Bulls fan. They're my local team, and I mean, they were in the they were in Giant Stadium for a decade, and it mm-hmm. was always bad. So I can't imagine, you know, back in the old days of of MLS, the uh, the quality well, the quality of play matched the quality of those pitchers. To actually imagine a Premier League team on a surface like that is almost <laughs> incomprehensible. You mean to tell me that the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars didn't play on a quality pitch? I, I'm here to tell you that there has never in the history of the New York Red Bulls or New York, New Jersey uh, Metro Stars ever been anything of quality, but that's for a different podcast. Don't get yes. me going. <laughs> yeah, we can be here all day talking about MLS. Uh, and now we've, we've oh. wound Adam up, so uh, yeah, I'll be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> well, Speaking on the stadium issues and just, you know, I I had the opportunity to, uh, or not even the issues, just the stadium with Wembley and moving into the new stadium. I had the opportunity to be in London for a full semester when I was studying abroad there a few years ago. So I did get the opportunity to go to White Hart Lane and to go to Wembley. 
And just speaking from experience, Wembley is a trek if you want to take any form of transportation up there. Yeah. It's like 45 minutes from the center of London. Um, and then, you know, White Hart Lane, my, my brother and my, my, uh, my brother and my dad are both Tottenham fans. So, uh, we went to go see Tottenham play Liverpool and, you know, it was, it was definitely a, a cool experience, but I, you know, just seeing the pictures from the, uh, from the new stadium online and whatnot, it's, it looks to be, you know, unbelievable. Uh, just seeing everything over there. And uh, people forget that this is also part of a, of a redevelopment project too, the, the Northumberland development project. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the entire area is going to be revitalized. Um, you know, so the project's not done. The stadium is done, but the project itself still has work to do. Yeah. It's, it's funny when you go to White Hart Lane, it's, uh, you know, it's like in the middle of the town. It's like, you know, mm. you get off, you get off the, you know, the, the tube. And you're standing there and you'll just see a bunch of houses and then you know, all of a sudden you turn around a corner and there's the stadium, which I'm sure now is even more of a spectacle, spectacle with the, you know, obviously the new stadium there too. Mm-hmm. And it, Tottenham Hale, you know, the, the area, the area right around it, you know, is, uh, if the only thing that lasting memory that I really had of it before, you know, really watching Premier League week in and week out, um, was they had riots there in 2011, if I'm not mistaken. And I forget what the reason was, but it was, it was all over, um, uh, you know, the world, the, the world news and, um, uh, people throwing, you know, flaming bottles and everything. And, you know, you, you look at it from, uh, the morning after and seeing the damage done to the area and all that. So, uh, to be able to have the club actually reach out and say, you know, we want to revitalize this area because it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's not the best borough in London, everything I've read. Uh, yeah. you know, that's, that's a good way to, to really give back to the area. Um, even though if it is, it is taking longer than they expected. Yeah, absolutely. Now moving on to, you know, spending money in a different area. Let's talk about Spurs in the transfer window. First mm-hmm. off, uh, will they ever buy a player ever again? Um, God, I hope so. That's the, (laughs) that's the answer to there. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think the summer is going to be damn busy. Uh, you, Spurs have gone two transfer windows now without purchasing a player while also selling off a few. So insert depth joke here. Uh, but Spurs in the last two months or so, have been linked to about a dozen players. Uh, I've got six written down here just in, in central midfielders alone. So, uh, Giovanni Lo Celso from Real, uh, Real Betis, uh, they just bought him. Uh, they activated their option to buy and they're going to turn around and sell him for a profit. Like I think their option to buy was something like, like, 20 million and they're going to sell them for double that. And and that's one of those clubs that, you know, making a buck is probably more important to them than, you know, finishing eighth a second time or whatever it is. Right. They, they struck gold with, with Lochelso and now they're going to cash in. So buying him and basically saying, Hey, we're going to sell you. We're going to get a lot of money. You're going to go, you're going to get to go play in the champions league because that's where he's going to end up. Uh, Jack Grealish is definitely on this list. Now, I think it depends on whether or not Villa gets promoted. They've looked really good and he's their captain now. So, you know, Villa, if, if they get promoted, I don't think they're going to sell him. Uh, even though that he would command a stupid amount of money. Uh, James, yeah. James Madison from Leicester City's on this list. I mean, he looked good today too. Was- he did. 
um, making Leicester tick in, insofar as they did at all. You know, Leicester is, is a solid club. Like, yeah, I really wish you would buy them and kind of deplete them because, you know, they're well, him, competition for us. Right. Him and uh, Yuri Telemans, uh, who's on loan there from Monaco. Now, they don't have an option to buy with Telemans. So, yeah, but Monaco's a dumpster fire. You can oh, God, get whatever yeah. you want from them. <laughs> How many I managers they gone through this year? Like three or four? Oh, well, no. It's it's that they fired their manager, signed Thierry Henry, and then when they realized Henry had no managerial experience, they fired him and brought the old manager back, which is really one hell of a whirlwind over the course of, like, four months. But, yeah. again, that's a different podcast. <laughs> right. Here we are talking uh, about Red Bulls again. Yes, yeah, yeah. I always bring it back, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the one that I really want is, is, uh, Tenge Nadambale, uh, from, from Olympic Lyonnais. Now he's got all sorts of suitors. Uh, Manchester City have been in for him. Uh, Real Madrid have apparently made, uh, inquiry, but it looks like they're after bigger fish. Chelsea, but they're, looks like they're going to be under a transfer ban, uh, which hilariously their, their appeal was denied to, to delay their decision, which, plus, uh, oh, plus I love they that. Have, uh, Timo Bakayoko's coming back. So, you know, that's all fixed up there. No problem. <laughs> oh, God. Bakayoko, man. He, what the hell happened to him? Uh, I, I that, don't, I don't think he was ever that good and he benefited from being on that juggernaut Monaco team with yeah. Bernardo Silva and Fabinho and players who are, much better than he is. Right. That's, that's probably, that's probably, um, correct. I can't, I, I can't come up with anything better. So, uh, Telemans is on this list. Um, David Brooks from Bournemouth is an interesting one. I don't think, I don't think Spurs are, are seriously going to be in, uh, in for him. Uh, then we get to fullbacks. I, I think Spurs are going to rage sell every single fullback they got, at least on the right side. Uh, Trippier's gone. Uh, Napoli is in for him for probably somewhere around 30 million, which is probably more than what he, they should be paying, but whatever. If you can get it, get it. Uh, so, so that's an interesting one, uh, and, and not yeah. to interrupt, but no, you're fine. coming off the World Cup, it felt like his stock was, couldn't have been much higher. Should have sold him then. I, I, <laughs> I make, I make no bones about it. No, okay. uh, I respect I, that. I have, I have never, never really been a Karen Trippier fan. Um, I was, upset when we sold Kyle Walker and Kieran Trippier was going to be the, the, the top, top choice at fullback, even though Petrotino rotates fullbacks a lot. Uh, I was not happy about it. And I just, I, I see a guy who has flashes when it comes to attack and um, doing set pieces and all that, but I I don't see a defender there. I see a guy who probably should have been moved to like a right mid or a right wing. Uh he doesn't have elite pace and um he he doesn't defend well. I mean he lost he lost possession 28 times against Ajax last week. That's Excuse right. Me? 28 in one game in one match. 28. Christ. He lost possession 28 times. And yet Napoli have looked at that and go, "Yep, I want some of that." I mean, to be honest, he'd probably fit right in Italy because nobody defends there. So why not? Um, so, and Serge Aurier, I think that's been that's a simmering. That's a can of worms, too. Right. That's been simmering for a while. We won't, we won't get into the reasons why, but I think he's gone. Uh, the, the guy at the top of, I think, everybody's list is uh, uh, Juan Bissaka from Crystal Palace. But he's going to cost $60 million. 
So I, I don't know. Well, and the other thing that Juan Pasaka, uh, the issue with him, and I've done a reasonable amount of research because Everton have been linked with him as well, and I think he's going to surpass our, our budget, which is fine. But he his attacking output is next to nothing, which, you know, that's certainly a product of Roy Hodgson's style and his, his teammates just not being very good outside of um, Zaha. But mm-hmm. it is a little bit concerning when you kind of pair that up with Pochettino asking so much out of his fullbacks to the extent that, for the last several years, Spurs have kept essentially four first-team fullbacks on the squad. Right. You I know, don't and know how much they'll be able to live with that lack of being able to get forward. Yeah, like I don't, I don't, I, I know Atal is on the list as well. Um, uh, Leon again, he's he's a good fullback uh, on the left side. Kieran Tierney's on the list. Uh, I, I don't know what he's going to cost from Celtic because he's coming off an injury, but he still looks fast as hell. Uh, Everton was linked with him over the, the yeah. summer as, as well, writing for a friggin' ton of money, which was ultimately mm-hmm. the reason that they elected to go with Luca Digne, which I mean, yeah, worked out pretty great happy for us. Yeah, but, um, yeah it, it, that was the the hang up there. Speaking of which, uh, the left back who should have been on the PFA team of the year, but um, I'm not mad about that. Nope, not me. Could be me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Spurs, Spurs also reportedly made a bid for Tierney last summer, but it was somewhere around 12 million and Celtic. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, it's, 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 come on. It's Daniel, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, God, that's the most Daniel thing I've ever heard. And Celtic, Celtic had a valuation of like 25 to 30 million and Levy laughed at him and just said, no, we're not paying that. And apparently nobody else is willing to pay it too. So now he had a ankle injury or a knee injury. I forget which one it was. And his values drop. So if he wants to get paid, which, you know, Celtic, Celtic's highest paid player, I think only makes something like 25,000 pounds a week. I don't think it's anything more than that. And they uh, have some managerial issues as well. I don't mm, believe they've hired a permanent guy yet. So that could no. be. Uh, Brennan Rogers leaving was a bit of a surprise. I mean, we all knew he wanted to get back into the Premier League. Uh, but. <sighs> I didn't expect him to leave in the middle of the season. Just go, oh, yeah, cool. I'll go to Leicester. All right. Uh, but yeah, if, if they're still in flux, uh, tyranny, I, I can't imagine is going to say no to a move, especially if it's going to be to a club that's, uh, at least in the top half of the Premier League. And especially if someone like Spurs comes along who is all but assured going to be in the Champions League next season. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious that what is your, trust level in the folks at Spurs who are making decisions in, in terms of who's coming in on transfers because Spurs have such a, a a bizarre, really since the sale of Gareth Bale where you've got some of these real highs where, you know, they get Toby Alderweireld from mm-hmm. Atletico for like 11 point, you know, like 11 million pounds, which is incredible, but also pay, you know, 30 million for Eric Lamella or, you know, any whole host of things. Paulinho. Paulinho. Yeah, the first summer <laughs> after uh, after Bale was it. But I'm yeah. kind of curious because there's been so much inactivity for so long. And when you look back at such a feast or famine to the relationship, you know, how much trust do you have in whoever is making those decisions to actually get it right? Well, so, just to tag on to that real quick, even the, even the last two, I think, are – you know, Lucas Moore has been pretty good, but then Serge Aurier has been kind of a disaster. You know, Aurier, I think I can probably count on one hand how many good matches he's had. He's got right. good pace, 
and he's a he's a good defender, but he just does a guaranteed two or three monumentally stupid things during a match, and they usually lead to goals. So yeah, uh, plus he's kind of a shithead too. So I think we've I think we've you, kind you of established kind that. of out of that. Yeah, yeah, we have enough evidence at this point. Yeah, um, no, Rea, I, I I can't imagine he'll be around next year. Uh, and then there's Kyle Walker Peters, who, uh, this is another one of those touchy topics that, uh, me as a supporter and, and writer from the states, uh, I understand the, the tie to the local kids, to the academy kids and all that and how, you know, you want the academy kids to do well. I, I want Kyle Walker Peters to, to be the best right back in the world. It's not going to happen. I, everything I've seen from him is, at best, a lower mid-table fullback for for the Premier League. Um, he is Spurs John Joe Kenny, if you will. Oh, oh. <laughs> is that? Well, I, 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 I'm sorry I, if I sound like I might have inflicted physical pain on you with that description. I yeah, I'll 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 leave that one alone. Um, <laughs> I, I think Wayne, Tom Davies, Kyle Walker, Peters, John Joe Kenny. There's a lot of parallels between our there guys. are there are. <laughs> Um, I think what's going to happen with, with KWP is he will get some of the off season to prove that he belongs. And if he doesn't hack it, uh, I could easily see him being loaned out or just outright sold, especially if Spurs do what I think they're going to do and completely flip fullback one and fullback two on the right side. I don't know who it's going to be. I, I really hope it's Juan Basaka and, um, maybe someone like uh, Max Aarons, but I don't expect Norwich to sell Max Aarons either now that they just won the championship and they're coming up to the Premier League. Um, but KWP is an interesting topic because if you talk to one group, they think that he is the absolute future, and you talk to another group and said, I think we've seen his best. Good Lord, if that doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> um, <laughs> the John Joe Kenny story. Yeah, but back back to Adam's question though, are you guys mm-hmm. like concerned oh, at yeah. all about the decision making process? So yeah, so I sorry, I I always get no, off track. You're good. Uh, so going back to what you were saying, you know, we were talking about the Bale Seven at the time. Um, uh, Franco Baldini was the direct was the, was the uh, director of um, uh, football management, and basically Franco was told, "Here's a hundred million. We're selling Gareth Bale. Go find us players." And he pulled out his little black book and he organized the Bale Seven. Now we got some pretty damn good players out. We got Christian Erickson. Um, we got Eric Lamella, who has had a roller coaster with, with Spurs, but he's, he came good. Uh, Nasser Chadley was, was okay <laughs> for a hot minute. And, oh, uh, yes. you know, what was he? <laughs> uh, so I could, I could actually pinpoint for you the, the one the game point of his career. Yeah. Actually, yeah. The highlight of his career is the 5-3 victory on New Year's over Chelsea. He was fantastic that day. The only other thing that comes to mind for me is the curling goal that he scored against Newcastle, and that was like a 4-0 win, so it didn't really fucking matter. Uh, So other than that, it is a hodgepodge of averageness. Uh, I think averageness is probably... Yeah, now he plays for Monaco, so. Complimentary, but again, nothing point. (laughs) I completely forgot he was in Monaco. Um, Everyone who was in Monaco would prefer to forget that they're at Monaco, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
so, but anyways, Baldini made made the moves and then left the club not long after that. They brought in Paul Mitchell, who Mitchell identified Deli Alley. Uh, there's there were other players that he had brought that he had marked in like uh, 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 Mitchy Batshuayi. Uh, he had him on his list, and of course, Mitchy ended up going to Chelsea, and that was a fucking disaster for him. Um, other than getting paid a stupid amount of money, but Mitchell was there. Now it is. I mean, I, I kid you not. This is Pochettino's shell. He is he is in charge of everything. The only thing that he doesn't have uh, control over is the funds. That's it. Everything else, when it comes to development and scouting and everything, if he wants a player, he says it's a guy I want, and then figures out if he can buy him or not. But he will have players offered up to him. Like a report that we had um, at the end of January was uh, Alexander Mitrovic. And Yuri Telemans were both offered to him at the end of the January window. He said no. And the report was he just doesn't like bringing in players in January because it takes time to adjust to his system. That and as um, I think it was Jay Rodriguez who said from Southampton that you need to have two hearts and three lungs to survive his uh, daily trainings. But I trust in Pochettino's judgment but as for the actual decision making, it's it's hard to get fully on board with that because we've now gone to windows without a purchase. Now, I can I can hear all the reports from from summer about how close we were to signing Nandambale or how close we were to sign Tyranny or insert player here that we were linked to. The fact of the matter is we didn't sign anybody for one reason or another, whether Levy was playing hardball or Pochettino said, eh, I don't want him. I don't and like carrying big squad. You you started Fernando Llorente mm-hmm. in a Champions League semifinal match. Now, mm-hmm. Alexander Mitrovic isn't a guy who, you know, is going to set the world on fire, but give me the option of starting Mitrovic or Llorente. I'm going to take Mitrovic. I mean, okay. the injury bug you were, you were, we were talking about earlier, we had to pull Vincent Janssen out of the basement and dust him off and throw him in a match. I find and... it hard to believe that they were even keeping him in the basement. <laughs> oh, they he's tried. in a storage unit 15 <laughs> miles from the stadium. There's no way he's in the basement. They they tried hard selling him, but he <laughs> he turned he turned down and said, "No, I'm going to fight my place." Well, was like, that's, ah, that's, no, I'm not going to register you. That's the thing about uh players you don't play is it's kind of hard to get rid of them when there's no tape. <laughs> Ramirez, comma, comma Sandro. Again, yeah. all of these parallels. Uh, yeah. So we are we are running a little short on time. I got a That's couple fine. other things we want to get to, but I do just have one note about the transfer discussion for Spurs is that I found that interesting. Andre Gomez was no longer on your list, considering how often he's been linked with Spurs. So he hasn't really been linked in the last couple of months by what I would call a you know a reputable source. Like you still see the links in like the Daily Mail and the Mirror and and whatnot. You know, the, the places that just throw shit against the wall and see what sticks. Um go, when when we were linked to him last summer, we were really split on whether or not we would want him. Now if you asked us, oh God, yeah, we would flip a ticket. He's death. He's a warm body in midfield. Hell hell yeah we would take him. Uh it, Don't you talk about Andre that way. I know, I know, I'm sorry. And I mean, in fairness uh, <laughs> to you, our, our attitude when he first got signed, and, and Chris and I both agreed on this, we went, why? That, that would have been our, our reaction. Well, so it, it felt bad for Barcelona. It felt it, a lot like, you know, that we were doing Barcelona a favor in order to get Yerry Mina and Luca Dean. Mm-hmm. And it, it turns out that he's been, I would say, maybe – 
third on the list of our player of the season behind Adrissa Gay and Luca Dean. So it's, it's been quite a turnaround and he's, he's almost become this, this cult figure with, you know, he's got dashing good looks and I need to start a podcast about that exclusively. I I, yeah, you guys we can it. do that. I would do Andre Govish. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's a, there's a final little thing, but you know, obviously I know we want to move on, but one, one little thing to add to this. So, one of the reports that we had from last summer is that Christian Eriksen was basically all but ready to sign. And then all of a sudden the interest came in from like Real or Barcelona, but it wasn't going to be for that, for that summer. And we thought that Barcelona was basically saying, Hey, here, here's Andre Gomez. Take him, take him, you know, in. wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And that way you can sell us Eriksen next year. Um, I, I mean, it, it's logical when you think about it, uh, but now we don't know what the hell's going to happen with Erickson. That that saga isn't anywhere close to being done. But um, would I would I take him now? <laughs> God, yeah, I would take him because yeah. we don't he, we don't have anybody else. Well, he's uh, he's honestly turned into one of the one of the best progressors of the ball in midfield in the league. You know, I, I've seen Michael Cayley tweet out some numbers to that effect over the last couple of months, and uh, he, he's not a guy who's going to get forward, but in terms of a possession-based midfielder and a guy who can do a pretty good job pressing if you ask him to, we've been thrilled. And he's, you know, our Everton's transfer list uh, this summer is not really any new targets. It's getting Andre Gomez and Kurt Zuma signed permanently. And right. the thing about Andre Gomez is that he's not Oliver Skip. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Skip... Skip shouldn't have been playing at all this year, but again, <laughs> no shit. You are where you yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right, right. I mean, uh, cup ties, sure. You know, early cup ties in, in the whatever the hell the Capital One's called anymore. Uh, and you know, the early Carlin, FA Cup. Carabao, Coca Cola, right? Cup, as it were. Uh, yeah. So you know, and I've been, I've been fine seeing him there, but uh, uh, he he played way more than he should have. I mean, again, we were talking about before, you know, before recording. Musa Sissoko has played. Uh, around 3,000 minutes this year. And again, he's been arguably our best player. Uh, I, I don't know where we would be without him, but Andre Gomes would at least allow us to have some semblance of rotation because Victor Wanyama has been dead for two thirds of the season and Eric Dyer, God only knows what the hell else he's going to catch this year. He had appendicitis and apparently he had, um, a nasty influenza. Then he had something else and so they're going just, Throw him in a clean room for three weeks. Let him get healthy. This is what happens when you when you supply England with you know most of their good players over the World Cup and they make a deep run. It's not <laughs> right. Good. No, no, and you know it, there's there's a lot of jokes to be made there, but uh, yeah, Gomes. I mean, I I won't be surprised if a link pops up, but uh, I do have a feeling he probably stays with you guys in the long run just because it seems that he fits in well there and he's he's a pretty vital cog in the system. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see, you know, how that plays out, um, you know, for, for both of us. You know, obviously the transfer window is going to be an interesting time. I think there's a lot that Everton can look at and obviously there's a lot that, that Spurs need to look at as well, uh, you know, with the midfield and, and elsewhere. But Let's just go to Everton real quick before we go to conduct, uh, sorry, predictions, uh, mm-hmm. and wrap things up. How do fans inside the top six view Everton? Well, I can't really speak for the other clubs, but I don't think I'm going to be far off when I, when I say this because I think this is about as accurate as I can. Everton remind me a lot of Spurs in the early, early, uh, part of the decade 
when they were just starting to get over that hump, threatened into Europe, like, you know, like the late aughts, early tens when it comes to the thing where they were making those, those vital purchases, but they, they were just missing one thing to really crack into regular European football. And they've been knocking on that door now here for, for several seasons. And I think it looks like Marco Silva, uh, has finally started to get his guys there. And, you know, for obviously your guys' sake, I, I hope that, I hope that does happen. Uh, but obviously you have to hit, you have to hit right on, on transfers. And we know in the, in the Premier League now, you need to have a consistent goal scorer. You need to have good depth in the midfield and you got to have a good keeper. You guys got a good keeper. You got Jordan Pickford. He's, he he looks every bit of the England number one as he should be for uh, most cases, and I think you're just a couple signings away really from climbing over that that uh, last hump to getting into um, consideration what we you know what we obviously hear you know called the Sky Six. Um, obviously, you you know you're, you're battling with uh, Watford. Um, which I th- did did Watford or no not Watford, uh Wolves Wolves have locked. Uh, no, Watford's seventh right now, right? No, Wolves. No, Wolves. Yeah, Wolves so seventh. Okay. I, I don't know why I always get Watford and Wolves mixed up. Well, it's, Ws. The, it's the general air of <laughs> nobody really caring about them at all and both starting with a W. But <laughs> I mean, I, I wish I could say that about Wolves, but Jesus Christ, they've taken so many points from the from the top six, yeah. and then they turn around the next week and they lose to Huddersfield. I mean, Huddersfield did the double over them, for, for Christ's sake. Good gracious. Yeah, but it's a, uh, I, I don't know. It's an interesting question though, because, uh, you know, as, as Everton fans, and I, I don't want to speak out of turn here because I am obviously American, but there is a sense of this inferiority complex, but where we're kind of tired of being the best of the rest and, but we just can't quite get over that hump. The funding is there. The support, the supporters are there, but, there's always this one thing or another. We, you know, two summers ago, we missed so badly on Davy Klassen and Sandra Ramirez in the transfer window that it kind of handcuffed us in the next one to where, you know, we had to sign these two players on loan and now we're looking at possibly losing them. And it's just, it, it's been tough. And I know that a lot of us, me especially, has looked to Spurs for that encouragement to where, you know, you can get out of this. You know, and I think it's it's funny that I think for a long time, uh, at least again for myself, and I think for a lot of Everton fans, when we looked at the top six and kind of looked for the the club that we thought, oh, you know, this is this is the team that we can catch to to kind of make our first foray in there, um, and, and we kind of looked at Spurs as as being potentially that club that was gettable, uh, and, and now I mean I, I know you, there's a reasonable chance y'all finish uh, behind Chelsea this year. But, I mean, I think Chelsea, Arsenal, and United are all infinitely more gettable going into next season mm-hmm. than Spurs are because as much as Spurs has obviously had their issues, and, and many of them we've we've talked about, there's definitely a sense of longevity and, and a plan in place that, that will keep things consistent, even if it never quite pushes you to that title contention. Whereas when you look at those other teams around you and the table, you know, is – is Maurizio Sarri going to be there next year? Is OGS no any I have any idea what he's doing? Uh, is Arsenal ever going to actually sign a defender who knows how to defend? And, and <laughs> you know, as as much God, as I Spurs, hope not. <laughs> yeah, us too. 
you know, and as, as much as Spurs has some of the issues, you know, it, you're absolutely right that it, if they actually decide to spend some money, crazy concept, I know, you know, o- over this off season, there's a, a, a world in which I think they are very obviously better than Chelsea, United, and Arsenal going into next season. And building upon that, you know, we look at we look at Chelsea with their with their transfer ban, and obviously, you know, sorry ball has been a hot topic of contention, depending on whether or not he's going to be there. Eden Hazard looks all but done. He looks like he's he's well off to uh, Real Madrid, and they're bringing in uh, Christian uh, Pulisic, who is not Eden Hazard, and. No. They're probably going to ask him to try and fill that role, and I don't think it's going to work. Um, I think he's he's definitely more of a winger. Uh, I don't see him as a as a uh, creative midfielder, uh, even though Hazard plays in multiple roles for Chelsea. Arsenal, as you said, who the hell knows? Uh, there, there's a lot of problems there. And United, uh, here, here's a here's a question for you. I'll set the over-under at 9.5 matches that OGS lasts next year for United. You take the over-under. I think Uh, I'll probably take the over just because United let Mourinho linger for so long, and he mm. is A, bad at his job, and B, a scumbag that no one ever wants to have to talk to. Even if OGS is bad at his job, he at least seems an amiable enough fellow that I'd be like, ah, yeah, we'll give him another week, sure, why not? (laughs) <laughs> the, the 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 one thing there is that Mourinho's severance package was just utterly obscene, and I right. doubt that they gave OGS something similar, although at this point, who can really say? Mourinho's severance package was keeping United out of the Champions League next season, when you get right down. <laughs> that's a completely different thing altogether. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but now, uh, you know, really to wrap things up here, getting hmm. to uh, Sean, for this uh, for this game, what do you what do you see happening here? Uh, you know, maybe give us a you know how you see Spurs lining up, and then what do you see the final score being? So we we know Spurs have Champions League um, midweek, and I don't know if that's really going to have any factor on who plays on Sunday because well, again, half the teams hurt. Uh, well, let's see here, both. Uh, Sun Hing Min and Juan Foyth are suspended uh, because of their red cards against Bournemouth, where Spurs had to play with nine men for 40-plus minutes. Um, I, I, I love my club. Uh, I swear I do. <laughs> God, they, they, they test my liver some weeks. Um, I got to believe Vincent Janssen starts at striker, please. Just uh, not not Lorente. I mean, I, I love Fernando. Sean. The man has, the man has scored, scored some important goals, but – I, I need something other than a an, an immovable object at the nine. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, but Kurt Zuma and Michael Keener are going to eat him alive. I mean, yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. Um, let's see here. Eric, Everton have Everton have clean sheets in eight of their last ten matches. I, I mean, I do you think I actually expect to score a goal on Sunday? Probably not. We couldn't score against Bournemouth. Uh, we no, couldn't. I mean, we did have nine men. <laughs> I mean, it's true, but we still had the first half. Um, so Erickson, Erickson, Dully are not going to get rests. Uh, they are, they are playing every single match, uh, no matter, no matter if it's two or three to, to, to wrap this up. Uh, Lucas is going to play. 
the midfield will be some kind of combination of Sissoko Wanyama um, and Eric Dyer. I, I, I don't know who. Again, it depends on the midweek. We'll probably see Ben Davis out left uh, for fullback, and right will be... I mean, Trippier's probably going to play uh, against Ajax, so he, he may play again, but it may be uh, Kyle Walker-Peters. Uh, center backs, more than likely it'll be um, uh, Jan and Toby. Jan's apparently cleared for Wednesday. I don't know how, but he is. Uh, and Hugo will be in net. So uh, as for prediction, I think Spurs are going to bunker it in. Uh, I don't I don't think they're going to attack too much just because um, – there's not much to play for. I mean, they basically have to maintain an eight goal differential and not basically not get spanked. And I think that I think they can handle that. So if, if Everton um, beats Spurs by eight goals, we'll have you back on next week, and that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like a good luck charm for you guys. Yeah, I, would exactly. be, uh, I would be absolutely hated by everybody else. So uh, yeah, you know who knows. But um, I Spurs can still defend. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna be, this is being really optimistic with the way we've been playing the last few weeks in the league. Uh, and I'll say a 1-1 draw, but I, I'm not hopeful of, of a win again. And it's probably just from the last few weeks. Uh, just no Harry Kane and, and the attack, just everybody looks exhausted. It's really what it comes down to. And if they don't get an early goal or two on Wednesday against Ajax, I think that match could get really ugly. So. That's that's probably it, but I do think that they maintain enough to hang on to top four if it if they are tripping over their own two feet and falling flat on their face into a uh, puddle of mud on the finish line. They're going to get across that line in fourth place. Uh, guys, Chris, Adam, predictions for this week. What do you got? I excuse me. I also had one one in mind. I. Spurs have a a really solid defense, and you know if they are going to bunker, we've seen Everton have trouble with that. Um, because they usually like to play open and especially on the counterattack. Uh, neither team has much to play for, and especially in Spurs' case where they're just trying to, you know, kind of coast into the finish line and Everton have now been eliminated from the top seven. I, I wish it would be more interesting than I think it's going to be. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take one nil, uh, to Everton. Uh, I, I just don't see any way in which Spurs can, can really put out a lineup that scares me in terms of its in terms of its attack uh, at least given that a lot of those guys are probably going to be playing pretty heavy minutes uh against Ajax midweek as well um but yeah and I, I think that Spurs will absolutely be happy to bunker in and, and take a 1-0 loss that all but uh, assures they finish fourth they make the Champions League and they get to to go home happy and Everton will get to go home feeling like uh they took points from, you know, four different uh, top six teams over the last two months of the season, which is something to build on for next year. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, – I'm going to go with 0-0 draw. I feel like this one could go scoreless uh, just because of, you know, the defense, Spurs not scoring. So I think we could see a, a scoreless draw. And real quick, uh, Sean, anything you want us to check out on the website before uh, before you go? Well, I know – Chris is well aware of the uh, recurrently generated Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I, I kind of shelved it uh, once once we started making the deep run in the Champions League, but um, I am going to bring that back post season. Yes, uh, I've, I've I've got yeah, them. On Adam's a big fan as well. So oh god, yes. You know, it, it's funny how it started, just because you know we've done now we did recurrently generated clubs. 
Um, and then we did the recurrently generated uh, players. And all just came out of a, a, you know, one of our silly conversations on Slack. It's just like, huh, I wonder what we would do if we just put a bunch of names in. Oh, okay, let's see. So we, <laughs> we literally took every last player name uh, from Tottenham's history. It ended up being something like 994 players and put them into the the neural network. And it pumped out some gems. Um, Telly Freemanch, um, Georges Dopes. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, Ernie Hunker. Bob. Uh, a personal yeah. favorite. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Odor, Odorate Yokesh, uh, not jokes, Yokesh. Uh, uh, Bill. It was Bill, not Bob. Oh, Bill. Bill, obviously Brazilian. You understand the confusion. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I've been, I've been playing with him. I think I'm something like 15 matches in. And, uh, and this is first, in FIFA 19. This yeah. is in FIFA 19. And the first five matches just did not go well. Uh, <laughs> I played in one of those, one of those preseason tournaments and Benfica wiped me with, with everything. It was like a five nil loss because I had no fucking midfield. Hey, it's <laughs> accurate. Uh, <laughs> no. uh, I, I honestly, I think low key, my favorite name out of it uh, was, was either Chuck Steak. <laughs> or Hondi Chavish. The reason Hondi Chavish uh, sticks out was because I, we were we were trying to come up with just some really fun by um, you know bios for these for these players, and it turns out that there was this really crappy band in the nineties called Hondi, and I included the video in the meet meet the players say, if you haven't watched it. You need to. So just if you can find the link on, on Carl Street, just to, uh, introducing recurrently generated Tottenham Hotspur. He's in the midfield. I've got the video linked from YouTube. It is one of the strangest things I have ever watched. The song is called No Access. And my God, how did this hit any kind of a top 100 chart? Nineties <laughs> were a weird time, guys. <laughs> so. But yeah, I'll be bringing it back. Uh, I'll probably wait a week or two. It also depends on if we make the Champions League final. Uh, but yeah, there'll, there'll be some, there'll be some more on that. Uh, after that, it's standard preseason stuff. Uh, transfer rumors galore. I am sure will, will be coming. Well, we're looking forward to it. Sean, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Hi, good luck you. on Wednesday. Thank you for having me guys. And we'll, we'll see if they can get to the Champions League final. Yeah, right, of, course, of course. Good luck. And, and Chris and Adam, as always, thanks for joining me. That's all the time that we have here today. Uh, to listeners out there, keep following us on Twitter. Keep listening. We'll talk to you guys next week.